Hello, everyone. Welcome. Um, my name is Adam Cross. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in SoCal, and today I'm with Daniel Johnson. And do you do you want to introduce sure, yourself? Yeah, or? yeah. So I'm Daniel Johnson. I I'm an associate marriage and family therapist still. Um, taking the test pretty soon, I hope. And then, uh, yeah, I'm also a therapist in Southern California, working with clients predominantly with OCD and depression. So. Awesome. Okay. And, and preparing for your test, that's kind of a relevant topic to, to for today too. So maybe oh, that'll, right yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> the joys. <laughs> well, right. I mean, the, the broad question today is how to remain or the specific question rather is how to remain Catholic mm-hmm. in grad school, but how to remain Catholic when you read junk <laughs> as many of those <laughs> tests are. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the, when you read or are around people who are um, full of opinions, propositions, and positions that don't align with our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how much of that can we engage with before um, what would be the relevant biblical analogy? You know, we become Lot's wife and we begin to long for, you know, the, mm. uh, the flesh pots, as it were. So. Yeah. Uh, that's a tough question for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So th- this question actually came from a, uh, a subscriber, a follower on YouTube, which greatly appreciate. And, and like Daniel said, the question was really, how do we remain Catholic and not even just remain, but how do we grow and form ourselves as Catholics when we are in grad school and specifically for those who want to be Catholic therapists, how do we kind of remain this identity especially when there's a lot of like daniel said theories there's a lot of stuff that we're coming up again that's that really is in direct opposition to our faith um and so i think you know it'll be a short one today but i think it'll be a a good one with hopefully some ideas on how do i continue to form myself with the right stuff (laughs) instead of the junk like like daniel's talking about um and I guess I can start with with my experience with grad school a little bit. So I actually went to a, and I won't drop names here. I mean, I guess it's not that hard to find out, but I went to a, a, a very, I guess, prominent Christian school uh, for my master's in clinical psychology. And, um, and the undergrad has a very good reputation for being, um, for being Christian, for, you know, undergraduates, um, they go to chapel, they take theology courses. Um, I think there's a curfew to dry campus. I mean, the, the faith is very much present on campus. Um, so I was kind of expecting that for the graduate program, which was at the same school. But, um, but then when I started the program, I, I quickly kind of realized that um, the, the place for Christianity was kind of hidden in the background somewhere. Um, it was a two-year program, um, and it really came to be that Christianity was kind of like a sub-theme, maybe. It was like, oh, this is part of the school's mission statement, but we won't look at this too much. And the program was very secular in itself, and I was really disappointed by that. And it really um, it really kind of framed Christianity as more like, oh, this is maybe something we should consider at some point. <laughs> but it's by no means you know, a framework or 
you know, our worldview or <laughs> what defines us or anything like that. So um, it was very interesting. And, and I'm sure many, many people have this experience of, of really seeing or, you know, studying psychology through the secular lens where most everything is kind of relative and, um, you know, it, we are almost the sum of our parts. And I, I don't know if, what your experiences were like with that, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, the my particular experience, um, I went to my two criteria for schools was did the class schedule fit into my personal schedule? So weekend classes and uh, was it cheap? So I wasn't even looking for a Christian school. I, I um, gave up on the value of that pretty early on in the process of finding a school. Um, and part of that was because I was confident that, you know, by this time in my life, I could navigate something ridiculously secular. And much to the credit of my grad school, um, many of the professors, uh, most of the students uh, were, they were liberal in that classical sense of the term, you know, the, the nice liberals that used to really value two or a variety of opinions. Um, it was actually one of the very first things I was told during the interview process was you represent a valuable voice that has been part of our culture. So of course you're welcome here. Um, wow. And so, you know, I don't, I, I'm not confident that at this point, if I were to enter, there's such a hostility to traditional conservative voices, whatever adjective you want to put on there. And I don't even mean, you know, necessarily conservative in the political sense. I just mean, um, something that dissents from identity, um, de defining people by their, their ethnic group, really. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, I'm sure there's a nice way to put that, but that seems to be what's going on. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was very fortunate, I thought. Um, oddly enough, the professor I, I kind of butted heads with the most was the Catholic professor on the staff. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it just yeah. worked out that way. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's an interesting question, though, this, how do I navigate an environment that isn't Catholic and remain Catholic or Christian? And then how do I, um, you know, and then the, the individual lessons and things, I think it's, it's important to mm -hmm. consider. And something that I really rested my intellectual life on was um, the, the intellectual tradition of the church predates the church. You know, we rest a lot of our philosophical insights on the insights of Greeks and Romans that came before Christ. And so as, as an intellectual foundation, which is different than, you know, an act of faith or, or the other components that go into Christian life, um, but simply as an intellectual project, I knew that the church's conclusions on certain moral issues or certain behaviors uh, was founded on something other than just revelation. Uh, now, Revelation, of course, because God said it, is a really firm foundation, but it's nice to have 99% of that confirmed by human experience and human insight. And so that's, you know, I was able to, if I had to quote something or I wanted to bring up something particularly that might be viewed as particularly Christian or contentious, I always just cited, I went and, and dug up Aristotle or Plato and made sure I cited 
them rather than the Bible. So that, you know, there was a kind of secular foundation for this, or at least a non-Christian um, foundation for this. So that was my general strategy as far as the, like, writing papers or having conversations mm -hmm. with people um, on particular issues. Uh, so that that was intellectually my foundation. But I think I think the real struggle, at least for me, and, and I imagine for many, was you're constantly kind of drinking from this well that lacks sustenance, that lacks uh, complete truth and, and complete applicability to your own life. And so you, even though you keep drinking and drinking, it's like, you know, drinking Dr. Pepper all day long, you're going to get dehydrated by the end of the week, you know? Yeah. Uh, so... That I think is one of the biggest struggles is how do you keep your non-Catholic environment from, from draining, draining you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is probably the biggest part, right? It's, you know, we can go in, we're like, yeah, I have a good idea of, you know, I have a, I have a good foundation in my faith, but over time that can really be wear down a little bit if we're constantly being, told this is true this is true right and everyone around us is like yeah yeah that makes sense <laughs> it sounds silly but it is it really does happen right there's this this aspect of peer pressure where and it could be the subtlest little change in definition um and i know we kind of both escaped gender theory right and you know this this idea of gender fluidity i got just like a tiny bit of that in my practicum but um but we really miss that. So, you know, these subtle definitions, these subtle changes that we can encounter in grad school that oppose, right, the, the reason of our faith, the rationale behind our faith, that like you said, that can be draining. Um, and and I, so I guess that's, that's a, a, a really good thing to address is how do we, how do we answer that? How do we deal with that? Um, because yeah, I mean, we, we can kind of get lost in it. And it, and I think if someone is in grad school and they kind of find themselves like, oh, you know, I, I like I am kind of getting lost in these definitions or <clears throat> people redefining things. I think for, you know, if you're in that position, that does make sense. Right. Like, don't beat yourself up if you're like, oh, I've kind of forgotten <laughs> some of these things because we need to be continuously forming ourselves. What is our church teaching? And I think like Daniel says, it's you know, we have faith and reason, right? We have revelation and we have um, what human reason can observe and what has, you know, made sense to us that we can come to conclusions based on reason too. So I like that approach. So, so balancing faith and reason, reminding ourselves um, and how to, how to form ourselves in the face of this stuff. So where do we begin? I guess, how do we refresh ourselves if we're getting exhausted from drinking that Dr. Pepper all day long? I love Dr. Pepper, by the way, but, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but I like the analogy, right? Um, so yeah, how do we refresh ourselves? How do we keep forming ourselves? Yeah, it's, um, as you were speaking, two avenues presented themselves to me. One would be the kind of the, the very specified question of how does a graduate student of psychology get in touch with the church's wisdom that pertains to psychology. Uh, I think that's a very, it's a more focused question, but I think that's really important. And then there's the broader kind of question of how do I, as a Catholic, 
um, maintain the, the practice of the faith? Uh, how do I not get weary in the practice of the faith? Um, and I think one example of this, it's not necessarily psychological, but I think it frequently happens with, um, with anybody who studies one of the harder sciences. You go after a good science class, you go and you try to read chapter one of Genesis, and all of a sudden you've got this voice in your head telling you, no, the seven days are absurd, they're not real 24 hours, why would this be created before that? You know, and so you, you're no longer reading a text, you're reading a text and having this argument in your head. And I think that can happen with the psychological sciences as well. We can have a client in front of us or a case on a test that we're prepping for, and we're trying to discern the difference between what, what is the answer that is going to work for this test or how to respond to this person, but we're also having this argument in our own mind between kind of the two worldviews that, that are difficult to integrate. Um, so that's, to, to a degree that that's an observation to be had, is how do I remain a practicing Catholic in the midst of this argument that's taking place in my mind? Yeah, yeah. I definitely connect with doing that in grad school. <laughs> Here, having topics brought up and being like, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, what is the, you know, what, what does the church teach on this? What have, you know, what have I encountered otherwise? Um, so that, that definitely makes sense. And I think one of the biggest things that stands out to me in, in staying refreshed or staying hydrated, um, within grad school is having good Catholic community too, I think, um, you know, that, that might sound secondary, but having people you can talk to about these things as they come up. Um, and I guess when I say Catholic community, I mean, people who really are pursuing the truth as well, right. Pursuing living their faith, you know, living as disciples, um, to have people like that in your life that will, that will question these things that will, you know, that you can talk to, that you can spend time with. Um, but also people that you can be like, Hey, what do you think about this? You know, <laughs> this is what's coming up in, in class. And, um, and I think like you mentioned, Daniel, you know, I, I remember in grad school, one of, I guess one of my, my biggest, um, and, and it wasn't, you know, very dramatic, but my biggest contention was actually with the professor who probably identified the most as Christian. Um, and, you know, especially as Catholics, you know, it was very focused on fertility, in vitro fertilization, right? These are things that society has really deemed as good. It's, you know, you're struggling. So this is a good thing that you can turn to, right? And especially a lot of Christians um, will even embrace that too. But uh, as Catholics, we're like, okay, what, what's going on in, in in vitro, right? You know, the, the uh, embryos, the you know, that are discarded, right, or frozen, you know, the, the lack of dignity for this human life, it, you know, that we believe in science, he just believes that conception. Um, so there was a lot of those type of things that, you know, weren't even coming up in class, right? It's just, this is a good, right? Let's, we're going right. to talk about this as a good. Um, and I'm sure nowadays, it might even be worse than in vitro, right? That's, you know, posed as a good. Um, but those are the biggest things. So being able to talk through that with my friends, let's, and you know, you're in a whole cohort that's like, Oh yes, this is a beautiful story. And I'm like, you know, I, I feel for this person. Like I feel for the struggle of infertility. I don't want to be, um, 
I don't want to be inconsiderate or mean, but I also can't agree with this action as well. So having, having friends to talk those things through that I knew were on the same page and kind of walking with me was really, really helpful during all of that. Cause I felt alone. in that. Right. You know? Right. Well, and I think that's one of the interesting things about, um, the internet right now is that a lot of Catholic clinicians are able to connect with each other uh, when five years ago, I don't think yeah. um, the technology may have been there, but the, the movement kind of wasn't taking place. I see it kind of percolating all over the country. There's this podcast, there's three yeah. others I can think of. Uh, and if you want to find those, that's your job. Stay here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, this is the best of, of all of them for sure. <laughs> Of course. Of course. <laughs> uh oh. Oh, I'll wait till you click record. Yeah. Oh, there we go. All right. Benny. Yeah, it um it's interesting that right now there is this kind of renaissance taking place in the Catholic community nationwide uh, to try to have this community of clinicians who are able to talk to each other. So if you're, yeah. you're looking, uh, obviously this question came through YouTube, but there's catholictherapist.com, Catholic Psychological Association. Um, I'm working on building an online community right now over at, I think it's Smart Catholics, but there'll be mm -hmm. a subgroup that I'll be in charge of. Um, and the idea is really to begin fostering this awareness in, in uh, kind of the broader Catholic population about how yeah. psychological resources can work. Um, mm. So there is that growth taking place. I think another thing that any student of psychology has to do is really get some good resources. Uh, you mentioned earlier about having a framework in order to approach yeah. these questions. Um, any and, th and there's any number of books on Catholic or Christian anthropology, which would be a good resource. Um, I particularly, I mean, I, I read the Summa because I was trained in that, but uh, I think much of the theology of the body stuff talks about Catholic mm -hmm. anthropology. Yeah. Uh, you can easily find summaries of that from, uh, oh, Romano uh, Cesaro, I think is his name, and then mm. Paul Litz out of Divine Mercy University, and then yeah. you know any of these kind of Catholic anthropology books uh, is a good yeah. starting place, I think, on, <clears throat> on the intellectual side of things. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's a lot of reading in grad school, <laughs> um, right? But you know, and and I guess looking back, um, it would have been nice if I had done this, and I, I think I did it to some extent, but to almost have your own curriculum right i i know that this topic is coming up i know that this class focuses on this is there some sort of catholic resource um and literature on this that's talking about like you say the anthropology or the philosophy um is there something i can keep in mind you know to almost do that research to you know like daniel said you said you know our our church is is faith and reason right um, so to really look at the wealth of wisdom that the church offers, you know, from, from 2000 years and even like you said before that, um, you know, that are, that were rooted in this reason as well as divine revelation that God has spoken to us that we can turn to the, the, yeah, the deposit of faith and the wisdom that is there 
to, you know, be our companions as we're faced with some of these things, right? Like, you know, especially with gender theory, you know, coming up to look at theology of the body, to look at, um, you know, what does our church really teach on sexuality and, um, um, I'm blanking on the word, but, but the fact that it's too early in the morning, but you know, that men and women compliment, complementarity, right. That we, uh, the sexualities complement each other and they have to be different, right. Um, for that, that procreative and unitive act to be there. So, I mean, these things are so relevant nowadays. Um, and the church is just, I guess, overflowing with these resources. So to, to, you know, maybe do your own research and say, what, you know, what can I take from the church? What can I be reading? Not to overwhelm yourself, but to, you know, what can I kind of have with me as we go into this topic in, in class or this course? Um, and, and there's, those, there's a million podcasts out there, right? There's a lot of YouTube videos. Father Mike Schmitz has short ones. Matt Frad, um, I love Catholic stuff you should know. They have all these topics that really can be very, very relevant to your, your course studies, which I think can be really helpful. And I think it's also a really great time for apologetics. That's that when I was in grad school, that was where I was at because I was, you know, I was facing all these different things and I was like, okay, let's get, let's get into this. How can I talk about this? How can I give a reason for the hope that is within me? Right. First Peter. So I was kind of looking at that framework and saying, how can I defend my faith? Right. Not to apologize, but to be able to give that defense when I could. Um, and that was really helpful. So I turned to people like Dr. Peter Kraft, um, Scott, I love Scott Hahn. Um, you know, I was reading a lot of Scott Hahn in college and grad school. Uh, Fulton Sheen, I, you know, was, was awesome. Um, some, some more contemporary theologians, but I thought they were really helpful in addressing some of these issues that were coming up in, in the classes I was taking. No, it's an interesting thing, finding the resources and, and like so many things, there's no one depository for all of this. You do have to kind of hunt around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine the internet being what it is, there'll be some concentration of these resources in the future but right now it really is um, kind of poking around and, and seeing what you can find um, but yeah I think the as far as authors go Peter Kraft is another and Scott Hahn both are great resources for this kind of you know you want to give yourself a touchstone so you know something that draws you back into yeah. the the western tradition rather than whatever um strange offshoot happens to be cropping up at your grad school. Uh, and so, you know, you don't want to overwhelm yourself. You still, I mean, you're in this program, you got to answer these questions the way they're being asked to be answered. And, but you need that little touchstone of, you know, what is, what, what really is, mm-hmm. is the reality here and how do I, um, and this is, I think, I think this is the part where a lot of, of students and a lot of clinicians kind of give up the struggle. You know, it's one thing to read about Catholic anthropology. It's another thing to know how to practically um, communicate that in the context of a, a client yeah. session. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean teach them about Catholic anthropology. I mean, it's difficult to learn how to respond to a very specific problem or question or interaction 
in a way that is reflective of Catholic anthropology. Mm. Uh, so it's not about teaching them. In fact, yeah. therapy is rarely about teaching the client, but it is about authentically responding to them in a way mm. that is informed by the broader tradition. And that's where, I mean, I, I can't think of any better resource really than a mentor, you know, mm-hmm. a teacher or another clinician, yeah. a, um, even a wise friend. I, I mean, any number of things I've brought into the room are because of conversations I've had with intellectuals in the field, mm-hmm. uh, not even necessarily psychological folks, but just kind of Catholic intellectuals um, talking about how to interact and, and help somebody experience healing through that interaction. Yeah. And so that I think is probably the best resource as far as how do you do this stuff? Mm-hmm. You've got to have somebody show you. Now, maybe there are other resources out there. In fact, I think Divine Mercy just came out with something about a month ago uh, to help clinicians be very practical. But yeah. I haven't read it yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that might be a great resource to check out. But yeah, I think that that's, that's key in having people that you can, yeah, having a mentor, people you can check in with, even having a spiritual director um, to process some of these things in your own life. Okay, this is coming up in my you know, prayer life and um, run it by someone that you can really trust <clears throat> in discussing these topics. And, and that, and that might be kind of the last thing. So we have talked about community, right? Having time to refresh ourselves, having people to vent to a little bit, talk through these things, um, turning to resources, you know, and I, I'd say even with resources, it could, it doesn't have to be giant books because you're doing a lot of studying. It could be articles, it could be videos, but having something to kind of, you know, almost bounce off of, right? This is what the church believes, something solid from the, you know, the, you know, um, credible sources in our church. Um, and then the last thing was, I think would be, or second, the last thing would be the mentor. And then the last thing I think is prayer, right? Going through grad school, um, really building an interior life and that relationship with, uh, with our God, I think is, is really important. And that's something that in grad school can be thrown by the wayside because I need to study. I need to write this paper. I need to read three books. <laughs> well, we, we get inundated with, in, especially in psychology grad school, we get inundated with mm-hmm. this concept of self-care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. it's a nice thing that we, we enter an industry whose primary focus is to reduce anxiety. So the life of the psychology student it's a lot easier, I think, than other grad students, but um, it's easy for the Catholic to forget that Mm -hmm. um, we already very much have a rhythm of self-care integrated into Catholic life. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you can read all these articles about taking a digital Sabbath once a week, you know? Well, we, that should, that's easy to incorporate with your practice of the Sabbath already. Um, yeah. that would be an easy thing to, to add to that would be to leave your phone at home. Hopefully you know where your church is by now. So you don't <laughs> maps, but, um, yeah, hopefully your church is open these days just to date this video a little bit, but anyways, um, so yeah, that's, I, I think that's really important is, you know, maybe developing a kind of authentic, um, self care, uh, inspired by the, the practice of the faith, you know, paying attention to the, the feast days, um, in integrating a daily kind of prayer. Um, and honestly, I, I can't 
it's hard for me to exaggerate the importance of an examination of conscience, both for the clinician, but for every one of my clients too. It's, yeah. it's something that comes up in almost every relationship I have in a, in a therapeutic context is carving out that time, not only to, to, you know, kind of do a, a thought journal of my actions through the day, but also to take into account my relationship to the divine. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's, it's worth cultivating that for oneself so that mm -hmm. you can authentically communicate that to your clients. Um, yeah. And it's a valuable tool for, for almost any psychological problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. To build in that, that self-awareness, that building that relationship with yourself, that it's not just Eastern practices of mindfulness, but it's really, you know, even our Catholic, um, interior life and being mindful of what's going on with us body mind and soul and our connection to the divine like you say um so building that up and i think you know there's i mean there's there's so many devotions we could talk about but i think you know to touch upon a few i mean going to scripture you know uh something like lexio divina what is god speaking to me through this um the sacraments uh, going to mass going to confession like you said even you know daily examine in that um, Eucharistic adoration, the rosary, and then even just spiritual, you know, writing or journaling, um, you know, accompanying spiritual reading. I mean, there's so much good stuff that can come up. And I think all of that, you know, taking all these things to prayer, taking what we're hearing in grad school to prayer, the joys, the difficulties, um, really making it personal, you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm facing these things in school and I'm, you know, or, you know, I'm learning about these things, but like, what does that mean to you? You know, what is, what is God even trying to say through this struggle, you know, but making time for that kind of reflection and, and that type of dialogue with God. I know, um, I say that as someone who is not perfect at that, you know, silence is hard for me, uh, you know, to cultivate that and build it. But I know <clears throat> just how important it is, you know, when I, I really am missing it and things get, kind of you know are burying that so cultivating that interior life within all this is i think probably the the most important thing we can do so it would be the source of great peace in the midst of the conflict or the implied conflict that comes with teacher-student relationships or even peers of different um, yeah. political persuasions as it were gone at least at the moment are the days where people with dissenting opinions can be welcomed as part of a conversation mm. uh, and I really feel for the, the grad students enrolled at the moment as Adam said we we both kind of just right at the end of my I think my last semester I started hearing about microaggressions and and now that philosophy has really blossomed into something quite horrific uh, in, in our cultural life and in our political life. And I can only imagine it um, is truly a difficult experience for most students uh, these days. So find these touchstones in your life, cultivate in yourself uh, a Catholic awareness. Yeah. Um, I think my own mentor, one of the best things she ever said was just go to spiritual direction as often as you can. That's yeah. that was key for her and, and useful for me as well. So mm, with a solid spiritual director, <laughs> I know that yeah. sometimes is hard to find too, you know, depending on where you're at, but 
yeah, that is, that is critical to have that good mentor. And, and, you know, with all this, you know, it, it comes back to this concept, you know, of, of reason of the philosophy behind it, that there is so much that we learn in school that kind of tells us that, you know, truth is relative, right. Um, that, you know, we can decide what's true and, and, um, and, and it's kind of what's whatever the, the culture is, is shoving in our face predominantly at the time, but, but that our church says differently, right? That truth is a person, that there is something greater than ourselves, that truth comes from, that there is an objectivity um, and we do have a purpose and we do have a creator and we do have something to lean back on that we're made for within all these things. Um, and I think that can, that, that was helpful for me in grad school is like, okay, yeah, it's not just what society defines, right? There's something greater than that, that we can turn to in prayer, right? For mentorship, for wisdom, and and even for that community as well to look for those things. So I think these are great, great tips um, to get started, you know, and um, yeah. And if you're not in grad school, well, then you still have some really great resources <laughs> to be continually forming yourself. So, Well, and that's a, an, an important point is that uh, Aristotle's pretty clear your 30s and your 40s are when people naturally are ready and disposed to think about um, the soul and human behavior um, and oddly enough he thinks that that's a prerequisite before you think about root behavior and politics so if only our politicians would learn ethics before they would go practice their craft but be that as yeah. it may um, yeah, a vestige of that awareness is is present even in our constitution mm. as far as the age at which we allow mm. people to run for office. Uh, yeah. We want them to have sufficient life experience so that they understand the soul and human behavior and the interaction between the two. So it's a worthy thing to uh, be aware of the fact that there are resources out there, that there are good clinicians out there, that there are yeah. clinicians who... Um, are are deep into their faith and into the cultivation of their relationship with God mm. so that they can have a healing relationship with their clients. Yeah. And there's some solace in knowing, like you're saying that I think I, I learned way more in supervision and in the room with clients um, than I did in the classroom. And I, you know, I learned the, the definitions, the cat, you know, the memorization, I learned a lot of good stuff in the courses. And, and even, you know, my grad school, it was a really good education for, you know, mm -hmm. for, for what I was studying. Um, but the Christian approach, the personal approach, the, you know, the, yeah, really how to do therapy happens, you know, um, in real time <laughs> and having yes. a supervisor. And I think that's the experience of almost every clinician is that yeah. uh, the real work of helping people heal or being available to witness their their healing really is done in the room with clients. It's done with supervisors. Mm -hmm. It's the classroom material takes a lot of translating into action. And that translation yeah. really takes place at your practicum and your internship. So yeah. If, if your classes have you down, just mm -hmm. go searching for a good internship. <laughs> yeah. 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 And a, and a solid supervisor too. Yeah. Good. Well, you have some great resources and I'm curious to hear what people think. And if you have any experiences you want to share, um, 
please leave a comment below. Give this video a like and hit that subscribe button wherever it is, whatever corner it's at. And you can follow Daniel at Color of Thought. He has his podcast, Color of Thought. Um, his website, you can check out his resources too. And, uh, and like he said, he's putting together um, kind of a, a compendium of, of some of those good Catholic resources. So that's exciting. Um, Holy yeah. and surely. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for watching. And um, yeah, please reach out with any comments or questions that you may have. And uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. You ask a question, we may just answer it right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this one. All right. Well, thanks again. And God bless. Bye. Bye.